to cover money, tips for teaching business journalism. Enforce this, I try to do at least a weekly current events quiz. And after floundering around with that for a couple of, couple of weeks, with kids sort of embarrassing themselves at how little they knew, I said, look, okay, look I'm going to tweet the, 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 the stories that I think are the most interesting, and I'll put a link to the story. If you just follow my Twitter account, you're going to pass the quiz. I could see them using, looking at Twitter, you know, mechanically just before class. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Reynolds Center How to Cover Money podcast. We're coming to you from the Donald W. Reynolds National Center for Business Journalism, based at the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication at Arizona State University. I'm Jenna Miller, today's host of the How to Cover Money podcast. Today we hear from business journalism professors Karen Blumenthal, Andrew Castle, and Keith Herndon. The three professors share tips they have learned teaching business journalism and give some examples of successful assignments, and some that didn't quite go as planned. These six tips were originally shared at Reynolds Week in January of 2016. Tip number one isn't about article content. It's about what's an appropriate word count in today's reporting climate. Karen coached her students to cut down the lengths of their stories. And I want to add one thing about the year-end story, because some of you others say you do 2,000-word stories, and I respect the academic process, but most journalism organizations are not running 2,000-word stories anymore. Um, I, I wrote a column for five and a half years for the Wall Street Journal. Um, I started in 2008. I finished it at the end, so it was just two years ago at the end of 2013. And it started at 1,200 words and then went to 1,000. And for the last four years, it was 800. So I think 2,000 words is lovely, but not realistic. So I mean, to me, it's really important. You can write a 1,000 or 1,200 word story. And you know, I actually think the challenge of writing something more realistic is important, because I think that's, unless you're an investigative reporter, and that's a pretty you know, skinny part of the business these days, um, you're going to be writing much shorter and, and more thoughtfully, I think. So that's my approach. Andrew talked about process and on what students should realistically be graded, not just their first draft. I, I decided early on that it didn't make that much sense to just to have them submit a, a story assignment and give them a grade and, 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 and let that be done. I, I, I said, okay, well, I, will, I will give you an edit, just like in a newsroom. You give me a draft, I'll give you an edit. You make the corrections and I will grade you on the, on the second submission. It will be a combination of how well you did in the first place plus how well you responded to, to, to the suggestions that I made. Another crucial skill for journalists is getting out of their comfort zone. Karen opened her class's worldview by having them talk to people they otherwise wouldn't. Um, I did interviewing a minimum wage employee, and that was a really successful assignment in my group. Talking, they had to find somebody who was not a relative, not a sorority or fraternity person, not somebody they already knew. They had to interview somebody who was working full-time for minimum wage. And we, people, we, they interviewed landscapers and the guy at the 7-Eleven. And um, it was super successful. It was eye-opening to them because TCU was a private school, maybe less so in the state school. But it was a really successful way. It was also just a first um, interview kind of story so that I made sure they knew. We, we talked about questions ahead of time. They helped develop the list. But it was very successful. So I think I will do that again. Keith used his community connections to give students insight into a world most were unfamiliar with, manufacturing. I feel it's very important, particularly in the types of jobs that our students will be going into. In many cases, it's small to medium markets, television, radio, newspapers. Um, economic development stories are very important. And many of our kids are from suburban Atlanta where their parents have been in service industries. The idea of a factory, they have no idea what that is but they also have an outdated view 
of what a factory is. So one of my assignments this semester is that we're actually going on a factory tour of the Caterpillar plant in Athens-Clarke County and explain what robotics are and what that means and that half of the jobs in the Caterpillar plant are logic controller operators. They program the robotics and they're, and they're doing logic control and they have to understand how to program in Rockwell uh, logic control languages. These are not your typical blue collar factory positions. And our students don't get that. And so leveraging that factory tour and going in there, and then one of the plant managers is gonna come into class later and do a, a, a press conference. So they'll do the plant tour, then they'll come in and they'll have a, a press conference and they'll write a, an economic development story using that angle of the factory locating there as a hook, okay? But Andrew found that with some assignments, it's important to give students strict directions. So we also did a bunch of stuff that I wasn't so happy with. We did a, um, a, a series of, of small business profiles. I asked them to go out and find a, a, a local company, give me, a, give me a, a, a profile. And part of my mission had been I was supposed to work with the local paper in State College to um, somehow be, be a bridge between them and the, and the journalism pro business journalism program. So uh, anyway, I got, them, I, got, I got these things published there. They were just little profiles. If I were doing it again, I would be much more explicit uh, about kinds of uh, companies they could and couldn't do. Because everybody went out and, talk, and talked to people in restaurants and coffee shops and clothing stores. And they all kind of read, read alike. And, they, they, and I kept thinking, well, you know, doesn't somebody want to talk to an accountant or a construction firm or a man, find a manufacturer somewhere? But uh, anyway, we got, we got, I mean, the, as far as getting, doing these, I, I was not crazy about the results, but the kids really, I think, got something out of seeing their stuff published. So that was, there was some benefit to that, yeah. Andrew also discovered that his weekly current events quizzes were a challenge until he resorted to Twitter. Enforce this, I, I, I tried to do at least a weekly you know, current events quiz. And after floundering around with that for a couple of, couple of weeks, with kids sort of embarrassing themselves with how little they knew, I said, look, hey, look I'm going to tweet the, 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 the stories that I think are the most interesting, and I'll put a link to the story. If you just follow my Twitter account, you're going to pass the quiz, because you're going to have the answer to every one of these quiz questions. And, and, and that improved performance. I could see them using, looking at Twitter, you know, manically just before class. But, but at least they were, you know, with luck, they were reading a couple of the stories. Thanks to Karen Blumenthal, Andrew Castle, and Keith Herndon for sharing how they keep business journalism students engaged. And thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode of the How to Cover Money podcast. If you're in need of more business journalism training, the Reynolds Center can help. Visit businessjournalism.org to find articles and self-guided training. Download our free ebook, Guide to Business Beat Basics, or sign up for our monthly newsletter. The newsletter will keep you up to date on training opportunities from the Reynolds Center year-round. If you enjoy the How to Cover Money podcast, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And while you're there, leave us a rating or review to help make the podcast more visible to other business journalists. Support for the How to Cover Money podcast comes from the Donald W. Reynolds National Center for Business Journalism. Join us on the next episode of our podcast, where we talk with Gerald Ryle and Bastian Obermeyer about their Bartlett & Steele Gold Award-winning investigation and the largest piece of investigative journalism in history, the Panama Papers.